thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to The Healthy Shift Worker with your host, Audra Starkey. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. My name is Audra Starkey and I'm here to help you to manage some of the toughest challenges we face whilst working 24-7. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about a condition known as shift work disorder, which can affect anyone working 24-7. But to do so, I've brought on an absolute expert in this field, Dr. Jade Murray, who completed a Bachelor of Science and a one-year accredited postgraduate diploma in psychology at Melbourne's Monash Monash University before completing a PhD program at the Monash University Sleep and Circadian Medicine Laboratory uh, in 2018. Dr. Murray's primary research interests include studying the effects of circadian misalignment on overall health in both healthy and sleep disordered populations, developing simplified methods for determining the timing of circadian phase and development of personalised management of shift work and sleep to improve health and lifestyle outcomes for shift workers. I actually think I've found my new best friend. <laughs> so to give a warm and healthy shift work Welcome to this podcast. I'd like to welcome Dr. Jade Murray. Hello. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, It's fabulous to have you, Jade. I'm always uh, very keen to talk to anyone that uh, has a lot of um, breadth of knowledge when it comes to circadian rhythms and chronobiology and sleep and so forth. So, um, yeah, I I, I can't wait to kind of um, hear where we go with this conversation because I think it's a, it's a, a great topic to discuss and it's not one that I've actually uh, incredibly actually gone into much detail on the podcast before. But I guess before we get into the nitty gritty of the content, um, would you mind sharing uh, with our listeners like what led you on the path to becoming a sleep researcher? Because it's a, a pretty big thing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, in actual fact, my pathway to where I am now, having just completed a PhD, um, was actually quite serendipitous. Um, I was originally, I did my undergraduate um uh, degree in science and I then did honours um, and applied for honours and I was assigned um, a supervisor from a completely different sort of specialisation um, but because I had chosen to study off campus um, she chose to uh, switch uh, supervisors and unbeknownst to me I ended up with um, Professor Shanta Rajaratnam um, which anyone who sort of um, has ever sort of Search anything related to sleep has probably come across his name, um, but at that time I had not heard of him and discovered that I was going to now be studying sleep for my honours uh, degree um, and was a little bit disappointed because at the time it wasn't something that interested me immensely, but within only a couple of weeks of starting in that group, um, I realised just how much I loved that area of research <laughs> and how passionate I am about it, um, which sort of comes from the fact that unlike other areas of psychology, I found that it was quite a tangible thing. Um, Of course, there's elements of sleep that certainly aren't tangible, um, but the, the, yeah, there's so many aspects of it that we can measure and understand. And it's just so relatable. Um, we all sleep and everything we measure and everything as researchers that we do to sleep, we can apply to ourselves. And I think that just automatically makes it so much more uh, interesting. 
Um, and yeah, so that was that was almost ten years ago that that very serendipitous uh, supervisor switch occurred, <laughs> and here I am now, still still with the group and um, continuing my research. Wow, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, how your path can sort of change? You sort of have this vision, and then you meet someone, or you attend a seminar, or in in your situation, yeah, you have a, a supervisor switch. How it, yeah, your path can completely change. So, uh, absolutely, yeah, wow, that, that's yeah, that's really interesting. So, what exactly then is shift work disorder? Can you explain that to us? I guess in layman's term, what exactly is it? Sure. So. Um, it's so to some it's hard to describe, and I'll, I'll also talk a little bit later about how uh, underdiagnosed the disorder is, and that's because mm. um, to some degree the symptoms are a little bit vague um, and could probably in some ways be applied to many to every shift worker but essentially uh, shift work disorder is what we call a primary circadian rhythm sleep disorder and by that we mean that it affects the timing of your body clock so it's not related just to an inability to fall asleep that might be due to other factors or pure insomnia Um, but in fact because you're shifting the timing of when you're having light and when you're active and not active you're shifting the timing of your body clock Um, so essentially we have this 24-hour rhythm um, in which our hormones and uh, many other physiological processes are sort of governed and if you Um, shift that, um, particularly the hormones that we have related to sleep, like melatonin, if you shift that later or earlier, that's going to affect the timing of your sleep. And so obviously shift work uh, is very much uh, likely to do that because one of the things that shifts our body clock the most is light. Mm. And there's particular times of day when we get light and that happens to be close to um, our core body temperature minimum, which occurs during the evening or during the middle of the night. Um, If you get light at that particular time, uh, you're most prone to shifting your body clock. And so that's what essentially shift workers are doing. Um, And then in doing that in shifting their body clock, um, they're then uh, having trouble readjusting back to uh, normal shifts and, uh, you know, days off when they have to go straight back and switch really quickly back to sleeping at night again and being active and alert during the day. And so uh, it's the main, the two main features of the disorder are excessive daytime sleepiness um, and then insomnia. So, you know, initially people and particularly nurses who I present this information to say, uh, that's all of us. But <laughs> in fact, um, when you think about it, the excessive daytime sleep, sleepiness is actually quite um, sort of not in line with the fact that they then suffer this insomnia. And what happens uh, is that this excessive daytime sleepiness comes about because our body clock is telling us that we should be going to sleep mm. um, because we've adapted to that night shift schedule. And then when it comes to bedtime, because, you know, when you're back on a normal routine, you um you should try and go back to sleep at normal times. So when you do, you can't you can't get to sleep because at that point your body clock has shifted to okay, it's time to be alert and active now. Um, 
and so it and then that just sort of self perpetuates and this constant routine of having sleepiness during the day to the point where you can you can you have to nap you're so tired and then when you nap you're only doing further harm to that ability to fall asleep uh, sort of at night and so that progresses the insomnia which then again cycles through to make you tired during the day so it can be quite a difficult cycle to sort of break um, and although yes I would agree that many shift workers suffer that um, excessive daytime or you know that general weariness during the day particularly straight after night shift and then maybe a little bit of insomnia this is more perpetual for people with shift work disorder mm. yeah I guess it, at the end of the day it comes down to uh, and please correct me if I'm I'm wrong here Jade but when it, you know there's those two elements of sleep we've got that sleep rhythm and that sleep pressure and with shift workers we're kind of doing everything at the wrong time so we're getting that pressure uh, that's happening in you know, a build up of that chemical in our brain adenosine but then we've got that rhythm that we're particularly the night shifters that are up at four o'clock in the morning it's yeah we're, we're kind of working against what our natural body is trying to do isn't it absolutely yes most definitely and so yeah uh, that is always going to be problematic. And I guess, um, yeah, the best, what all we can do is try to manage how much that affects mm. affects people. But you're absolutely right. We're, we're essentially doing, and whilst, you know, people can adapt and we know that there's a lot of variability between individuals in terms of how quickly and how how fully they're able to adapt um, to that change in body clock or the change in, in shift schedules that requires an, an adaptation of the body clock. Um, we're still not quite there in terms of how to manage that for the people who struggle to shift um, and don't adapt fully. Mm. Besides having more user-friendly rosters. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, my research at the moment is particularly focused in the healthcare setting. Um, and I can certainly attest just from witnessing what I do uh, that they are not, yeah, friendly friendly roster systems <laughs> yeah actually that reminds me i do want to talk about that um in a second because uh, yeah it's uh, it's definitely yeah trying to get to the root cause of, of the driver and the roster obviously is, is one of those drivers um but why then do people really need to be concerned though if they've um you know are experiencing this type of disorder so yeah that sort of um, comes down to, I guess you could break it into three elements. So, and look, to be, to be perfectly frank at this point, um, shift work disorder has actually been quite a poorly diagnosed disorder and, um, it's not very well recognized in primary care settings. Um, a lot of that has to do with the fact that we don't have really good standardized screening tools, um, but then there's also that element of um, individual vulnerability that makes it and how much that varies that makes it difficult to um, diagnose. And then there's also the element from um, shift workers themselves who I think for the most part believe that the way they are feeling 
is just normal and a part of being a shift worker. Hundred oh, percent, um, I can vouch for that too. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and you know, in some instances, and to some degree, that is true. Um, shift workers are um, are always more likely to have that sort of sleep deprivation and problems with sleep mostly relating to the shift transitions and then they sort of can you know move on um and it's it's probably easier for people on a more uh regular shift rotation Mm. but um yeah so we have this we have this problem that the the disorder is sort of under recognized and because of that we we don't actually know exactly at this point what um what it means to have the disorder in terms of how much worse is it than just being a shift worker? Are you more likely to um, suffer all the consequences of shift work uh, at a more, yeah, in a worse way or, yeah, more than just ordinary shift workers without the disorder? Um, And partly that's what my research is uh, targeting at the moment to sort of overcome that lack of knowledge and understand just what it means. But in terms of the risks associated with shift work and, and you know, shift work disorder, that ad- additional vulnerability to shift work, it can sort of be broken down into um, sort of several uh, consequences, I guess, and some of those are functional um, and more probably more immediate, and that is an increased sleepiness and reduced alertness, and that's more than likely usually associated with, like I said, the transition points and the actual night shifts. Um, I know in medical settings we have an increased risk of medical errors, Mm. but also shift workers are at a much greater risk of motor vehicle accidents, um, driving to and from shifts. Um, And for those suffering from shift work disorder, there's an argument that perhaps there's an increased risk for them in general, um, not just before and after shifts. So that's one element of why it's important to be acknowledging these symptoms and trying to do something about it. But then there's also the the short-term and the long-term health consequences. Um, so obviously we've sort of touched on the fact that there's uh, disruption to your circadian rhythm, which has, you know, downstream effects on your body temperature, your hormone, hormone production. Um, for women, it has an impact on menstrual cycle um, and even cell division. Uh, and that's important. And I bring that up because obviously that's related to um, the development of cancers. Um, it, it's also been associated with a number of gastrointestinal disorders, mm. um, increased risk of cancer, as I mentioned, the reproductive effects it has include, uh, you know, low birth weight, um, prematurity, and um, also difficulty conceiving. Uh, It increases your risk of cardiovascular disorders. And I guess, and I'm sure, Audrey, you can sort of attest to this as well, that it has a massive impact on mental health and whether you've been diagnosed with a formal disorder or just that feeling of stress and anxiety and lack of motivation, uh, it it has a massive impact on that as well. Mm. Uh, And so I guess 
yeah, for us, that's that's why um, it's so important that as a shift worker, you're aware that you know perhaps it's not normal to be feeling the way you're feeling. Um, if and maybe if you're if you're really concerned, you should consider having that assessed. Mm. This is a great conversation we're having, Jade, because it's really uh, comes down to what I'm trying to do is to create this more awareness of just how critically important sleep is on our health and well-being. And we are yep. currently in a society, and you know, I'm a I'm a clinically trained nutritionist. I can sort of get this, but we are. I feel very much that we are just so focused around nutrition and exercise as the big be all and end all when it comes to our health and well-being but sleep really forms a foundation of that because when we don't sleep well you know it affects our nutritional choices it affects our you know get up and go whether we want to do any exercise it definitely affects our ability to cope with stress our mood and mental health that you alluded to before it just has this huge flow on effect and yeah and being able to cope with stress and so forth and um, I just think that a lot of but a lot of people aren't they don't kind of really put the two and two together. And as shift workers, yeah, we definitely uh, have a habit of we just kind of try and put one foot through the other to get through each day the best way that we possibly can. And we are so used to being tired that, uh, as you alluded to before, we don't realise, we've, we've kind of forgotten what it's like to not feel tired anymore. Uh, so it becomes this a bit of a vicious, 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 vicious cycle. But I think uh, by getting this more of awareness out there on some of the the um, the ramifications of poor sleep and yes when we sign up for shift work it is what it is and it is certainly a part of what we do but there are also elements that we can definitely do on our part to kind of help to mitigate those effects I've always believed that it's a bit of a 50 50 50 percent uh, responsibility of the employer through education and a 50% responsibility of the employee to take better care of their health. It's just kind of working out those, <laughs> getting that right um, yeah. right kind of balance, but yet Absolutely. all comes down to this education and awareness. So I'm just, yeah, yeah I'm really great that we're, we're kind of bringing this to the table and having this um, this conversation. So, yeah, and um, I love that you brought that up because I it was only sort of yesterday I was sort of thinking about how much as society how much do we value sleep and I think unfortunately we really don't Mm. and as a sleep researcher that bothers me um and it what bothers me is that we only value sleep when it's poor or when we're not getting Mm. any and it seems to be impacting our life and what's what's problematic about that for me is that it, it's so it's one of those things that so many other elements of life um, can be influenced by sleep and probably made better um, but it requires that you value sleep as much as any other health and well-being element to your life um, so that you can implement good practices when it comes to your sleep uh, and prevent the kind of things that you know we're studying here. Mm, absolutely yeah agree a thousand percent it's where we it is it's where we value it uh, on put on that list of the priorities so um yeah awesome awesome all right um oh actually one thing i did want to uh, another question i wanted to kind of lead into is it um do individual uh 
chrono not chronotypes and by that for our listeners it's whether you're an early person or a, a, a night owl or so forth but do those individual chronotypes influence the magnitude or severity of symptoms surrounding shift work disorder because i've had clients that are that love night shift they just put their hand up and that's all they want to do and they absolutely love it i've also experienced people in my own workplace that absolutely love early shifts i mean i'm always been more of a late person i remember pe- you know, having plenty of 3 a.m. starts and people would want to shift change me to, to have their have my 3 a.m. in exchange for their late and I'm going, oh, my gosh, yes, please take it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that has to come into play. Is that right? Absolutely. And so we haven't fully confirmed this or the mechanisms, but most definitely um, your chronotype, so whether you're a morning person or an evening person, will um, influence uh, your sort of, I guess perhaps not the magnitude of severity, but um, perhaps you are definitely whether the, you develop shift work disorder. Um, and so what we tend to see is just like you said, Audra, that people who uh, are late types um, or extreme late types do have a preference for working night shifts. And although we haven't sort of fully expounded this that's likely due to the fact that um, it's thought that these people adapt the more easily or shift their body clock more easily in the right direction. And so the early morning types doesn't mean that their body clock doesn't shift as easily, but essentially they've kind of got, if you can imagine it as a clock, they've got further around the clock to go to shift to adapt than someone who is already prone to wanting to to be up later and mm. you know waking later and so um there's certainly um the basis there to say that people who are a late type are more likely to sort of cope better with night shift and less yeah less likely having said that those who do adjust to night shift and i guess um, for some on very variable rotating shifts, this is when it becomes a big problem. Although they shift easily for night shift, it can for some be quite difficult to shift back. Um, and so it's not it's not as clear cut as you're late, you're going to cope better with night shift. You may actually cope better while you're on night shift, but the recovery period after that, it may not mean that you're you're going to cope as well. Mm. Yeah, coping that coping mechanism is really what it comes down to, isn't it? And I suppose if you're someone that, um, yeah, might lo- love being an early person or a night shift, I guess I suppose you've kind of evolved your lifestyle to kind of um, uh, help to adapt with it as well because I know a lot of uh, night shifters do it purely from a bit of a lifestyle kind of perspective which means that they're happier which means that they're able to get more of a balance in their life so they'll do whatever they can to make it work I suppose yes. yeah and it, it sort of comes back down to that question of um what I said earlier they sort of get to the point in their routine where they don't know that it could be better or that they, should, they don't have to feel yep. quite like yep. this. Not only that too, like in one of the other projects that I've been working on, I've been interviewing nurses um, and they, they, we ask them the question, um, why do you 
why do you do shift work? And generally for nurses, the answer is because I have no choice. <laughs> um, and I guess they make a choice when they choose to, where they work and what wards and whether they even become a nurse. Do the do the benefits outweigh the cost of night shift? And yeah. And for most of them, they, they think it does, um, although most of them will admit that they do struggle with the shift and particularly the rotation of the shifts. Um, and, and, again, it links a little bit probably to that value we put on sleep. A lot of people believe they can, they can survive with much less sleep than what is actually really healthy. Mm. And, I mean, we do. As humans, we're very adaptable and we're very good at managing being sleepy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there's internal processes going on that um, are not healthy for us. Yeah, it, our bodies, uh, as a human being, our body's incredibly resilient, isn't it? It's what we, what we put it through, we just think, gosh, and we're still alive <laughs> when, you, when you kind of think about it. Um, yeah, that leads me to uh, that. Uh, before we get on to your study in a second, uh, Jade, I just wanted to uh, bring up the topic of the shift rotations and so forth, because I think uh, particularly in the midwives and nursing field, uh, they have um, the, the, those a lot of those late earlies or those quick turn turnarounds and so forth and some of them can be like minimum eight hour turnarounds and and I know my sister's a nurse so she's been exposed to this Uh, I myself personally have have had 10 hours which is better it's not ideal but it's better than eight and I don't this is where I think the accountability has to come into just you know working out this root cause as one of the the drivers potentially of, of a shift work disorder because you know, the sleep association says that we're meant to be getting anywhere between seven and nine hours sleep. And then, okay, so why are we given eight hours turnaround between shifts, which uh, in if we were a nine to five worker, if we finished at 5 p.m. in the afternoon or even if we finished later at 6 p.m., that would be like asking us to come back to work at 2 a.m. Yeah. Now, no nine to five organisation is going to ask that of their staff member. Yet what I don't understand is why we are allowed to, um, uh, you know, expose the, the the people that are already very vulnerable with their sleep disruption because of the shift work. Why why are we asking them to, um, you know, have less sleep versus a nine-to-fiver usually gets about 15 hours between their shifts, so to speak? That's right, yeah. And that's, yeah, I, I don't know that I can fully fully answer that question because it is, it, it's a problem that as sleep researchers and here at Monash University, we, we acknowledge that it's it's not okay. Mm. Um, and that, but it's, yeah, changing policy uh, and changing, I guess, what's known for the administrators and, and even the shift workers themselves, although they don't like it they're not always there there's always that concern that if we come in and say this is what our research says this is what you should do that might actually be worse for them they've they've learned to cope with what they've got now um and there's always that underlying fear that it might be worse and so i guess it's really hard um to sort of yeah implement that broad policy change um, and the complex nature of the shift the shift rotations the staffing um, I think is put in place as a bit of a barrier to, to stop that from happening um, 
but yeah, I, anecdotally from from the nurses that I've uh, interviewed, many of them actually say that the uh, late to early transition is actually worse than night shift, um, mm. and that's not only because of the limited opportunity for sleep. So if you want eight hours sleep at night, really you should be probably giving yourself an opportunity in bed of nine hours. So you've got kind of half an hour either at side. At least, yeah. <laughs> And so, and then if you want to take into account wind down time before or after your shift and then get ready time, really like 11 hours is, is really the minimum that is required to make sure you've got all enough time to do all of that. So in on, but on top of that, we also find that the nurses then are so stressed about not waking up at their for their alarm for their early shift that they then don't sleep because they they've got this heightened arousal because they're a bit anxious about missing their alarm so it just compounds the problem the following day and as I mentioned there's a number of functional consequences of that sort of sleep restriction um, and that tiredness and lack of alertness and one of those is that that it limits their ability to care adequately for their patient absolutely Um, and then you know that's 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 on them if something goes wrong, um, yeah. And it's so it's a yeah. And so why we can't implement these broader changes in 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 particularly the healthcare setting, but any shift worker system um, to the rosters, yeah. It, it's something that I think we're working on slowly, but it, it's it's a matter of not only showing the evidence as to why it's important, but just slowly changing the attitudes surrounding it. It's a long-standing um, profession, and so therefore it has its sort of very long-standing uh, processes that can sometimes sort of take time to. Yeah, oh, I, yeah definitely. It's de- certainly not something that we can um, fix overnight, but I do... Uh, know that I've had a couple of people reach out to me. There was a lady that mentioned that uh, she had a nurse staying with her from France, and she said that um, she was shell shocked to hear that they we have eight hour turnarounds in here because in it, in France they have a minimum of twelve hours. It's actually law that they yes. have to have um, a twelve hour turnaround. So it goes to show you that it can be done. It's just whether the <laughs> The powers of be that you know find a way to make sure that it that can be happening because at the end of the day, like our these are as you mentioned before, Jade, these are the people that are taking care of us, you yes. know the health you know the health uh, care practitioners that, and they are the ones that um, you know we need to be taking care of more. But I probably opened a can of worms, so I'll, I'll move on from that. <laughs> but it's definitely something that's that I do have a bit of a bee in my bonnet about because I, I'm all about trying to um, you know get to the root cause of the problem. But I know that you're doing some um, research at the moment around um yeah people who are particularly vulnerable to night shift with the aim of identifying individuals who are at risk of this shift work disorder could you tell us more about this particular uh study yeah most certainly so sort of following on from what we were talking about these current at the moment it stands that what our research to date has focused very much on these broader uh, sort of interventions or strategies for managing shift work better. Um, and coupled with sort of that under-recognition of shift work disorder, what we find is that although these broader changes are are really valuable and do help, um, and, you know, some of these may in fact, be changes to rostering, lighting interventions in, in mm. wards. 
um, in hospitals and things like that or in, in workplaces. What, what we've found and what we understand now is that there's huge inter-individual variability, so that variability between people in, in how these approaches and interventions actually how effective they are for people. Um, and coupled, yeah, like I said, with the shift work disorder, those who have that disorder, you know, may need more, more to the intervention or their management to help them uh, adequately sort of manage the shift work. And so previously a we have, and there were members of our team here at Monash that were involved in developing a screening questionnaire uh, to for shift workers who so to enable them to more easily identify individuals who are at risk of uh, shift work disorder and they validated that on several populations however they've not validated it at this point on the healthcare population health in a healthcare setting and so what we're trying to do now um, as a primary aim is sort of validate that questionnaire do we adequately with this questionnaire which is only four questions but do we adequately identify uh, nurses and midwives and healthcare professionals who are at risk um, and the reason that's important is because you know the, the populations that it's been um, validated on so far have uh, very structured rostering systems. So they do might do four days, four nights, four off, or some such variation of that, but it's very structured. And so um, they can sort of have their routines and their patterns. But for the healthcare setting, like we've just mentioned, it is incredibly variable in terms of what they'll be doing from mm. one, day, one day to the next, one week to the next. And, and so... Do people with this disorder present the same way? Are the concerns that are valid for other populations the same concerns for this population? And so we're currently conducting a survey in nurses and midwives um, and it takes about 20 to 25 minutes to complete uh, in which we go through quite a large range of information from general medical health and well-being to um, your shift rostering daytime sleepiness insomnia symptoms all of those sorts of uh, different elements of sleep um, and then yeah from that we're hoping that we can show that these screening this screening questionnaire uh, actually does help to identify those at risk and the reason that's important is because as I mentioned earlier it's an under-recognized uh, disorder yet no less impactful both at an individual level and societal level and therefore if we can start helping these primary care physicians better recognize it better diagnose it we can then better treat it um, and mm. If we can better, if we can better identify people, we can then actually start to, rather than having just these broader um, interventions to help manage shift work, we can actually tailor treatment to individuals so that depending on their particular problem or what is making it difficult for them, we can choose the appropriate course of action to help them better manage what they're doing. Um, short of telling them not to do shift work anymore. But mm. <laughs> so, 
so that for us, that's the primary outcome. But also we're hoping that um, from what we're collecting, the information that we're collecting, we can start to get a general feel for um, our and as I mentioned earlier, because it's such an underrecognized disorder, we don't know exactly whether people with shift work disorder are worse off in terms of the outcomes to health and lifestyle than just regular shift workers. And so we're hoping that we can also start to tease apart some of that information um, from the really quite comprehensive information we collect in the survey. Um, and yeah, so that's essentially in a nutshell what what our research is in entailing at this point um from there anyone who completes the survey actually is then uh if they're identified as being at high risk for shift work disorder we then refer them to um, the healthy sleep clinic that we have here at monash university or for those although we're mostly targeting people in victoria nurses and midwives in victoria uh in Australia, sorry, because I do have a few international listeners here. Yep, just to oh, let yeah, them know. Sorry. Yes, sorry. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, we also, obviously, if there's those who are interstate, um, we can also make sure they're referred. That if they want to complete the survey, they can be referred to another equivalent sort of uh, clinic in their own in their own state. Mm. Great, great. Because at the end of the day, uh, I know plenty of people that just absolutely love their job and they even, in, that's what sort of put them into that field. For example, nurses and midwives, I know so many that absolutely love their job or, and they don't want to be told by some well-intended practitioner to just quit their job, but they just want to be, you know, um, shown a way to help them to be able to cope better and to be able to, um, you know, do, you know, handle shift work in a better way. And I, I think, um, yeah, what you're doing is definitely going to raise um, a lot of great um information for for your team to be able to um gather and and sort of sit back and 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 um digest and so forth and um yeah and then potentially uh, steer people onto that direction where they can get the help that they need yeah absolutely yeah and yeah i'm clearly i'm quite passionate about what i do and i love what i do but yeah i'm really excited for you know, sort of when i get to start um yeah, looking at all the information that we've got and really teasing it all apart. Um, yeah, I I think it'll be um, – I think there'll be some, yeah, interesting findings, um, but probably nothing that we're not expecting. Um, but, yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, great. And obviously anonymous, everyone's um, – they don't have to put their name or anything like that in that, do they, Jade? Or In fact, they do, so because okay. – because it is a research project, we do need informed consent. So, oh, the initial, okay, got it. Yeah, yep. so the initial element of the uh, survey is actually just the consent form to read through that explains uh, the project in more detail and um, provides, yeah, just a bit of more, bit more information. Um, you then do need to select agree uh, if you'd like to continue on, and then you also have to put in your name and your email address and uh, just uh, the hospital that you work at. Um, that information, though, in the way that I've set the survey up, that is actually kept and stored completely separately from then the actual survey information. Um, 
And although uh, I can sort of connect that information, I am the only person who can do that. Got it. Uh, yep. And so it's kept all very confidential and private. Um, yeah. So obviously I need to be able to connect the information initially just to be able to, for those who I've identified as being high risk, to then contact and refer. Um, but other than that, no one else can, can connect that information. Excellent. Great. All right. Well, um, before we wrap up, could you um, g- uh, give our listeners some? Just not, I don't want to leave them hanging for with some <laughs> with some tips and strategies to kind of help them with their sleep. But could you, yeah, just maybe share three, you know, two or three strategies um, that they might be able to just start implementing straight away, like now, um, that to help um, with them if they may be sort of suffering from a, a, a form of shift work disorder and not necessarily the disorder itself but they're just struggling in general sure so the first i would say and i hope there's not too many backgrounds groans here but is routine and i understand that's a really tricky (laughs) but if you can be quite structured particularly on your days off or on day shift if you can be you know maintain quite a regular schedule of when you go to sleep uh, and when you wake up um then that will help immensely in terms of mostly your recovery um, after night shift. Um, But also, so we have this thing called social jet lag where people tend to restrict their sleep on uh, weeknights and go to bed later but get up uh, or sorry, go to bed early but get and get up early but it's not enough and they have this small window of opportunity and then on the weekends they try and make up for it all and, and sleep go to bed later and sleep till much later and that shifts their body clock and it makes it really hard to adjust properly Um, and that's associated with a lot of other problems as well but we've found that people who are more regular and have very set routines regarding bedtime um, yeah do adapt um, much better and and recover from night shift a lot better Uh, my other tip would be that on night shift prioritize your sleep Um, and I'm sure I have no doubt that that's what most people do, but, um, it's, it alarms me how often I see shift workers, um, and some of them nurses who, you know, after a shift that finishes at 7.30 in the morning, they wait up until nine o'clock and then they drop the kids off and then they go and get their hair done. Um, and then, you know, get home at maybe 11 o'clock and then go to sleep for a couple of hours and then they have to go and pick the kids up, um, And, you know, I understand that being a shift worker allows them a bit of flexibility and it makes it easier as a family to do, you know, drop kids off without having to rely on care and all of that. But but sleep is essential and really important. And so my other tip would be to really prioritise sleep as much as you can. Um, And then I guess the third would be... um, when you're on night shift to, and this is a probably a little bit vague, but maybe make sure that you're eating adequately um, and eating the right types of food. And I, I was speaking, we have um, uh, above our sleep division here, we have the nutrition and dietetics department. Um, and I was speaking with one of the dietitians the other day about what should shift workers do um, in terms of eating. And she said, it's kind of, like yeah you should try and have nice large gaps between your meals similar to what we do um 
during the day a little bit and also what you would ordinarily do overnight as well. So if you can have you know, dinner before you go and then maybe a snack in the middle of your shift and then sort of try and go a couple of hours, they've found the outcomes for people who do that uh, in terms of their overall health but their obesity are actually better. But Audra, you may disagree with me, but yeah. But the overall, I guess, the nutrition and just eating well and feeling good and the important thing is to eat before you go to bed after night shift so you don't wake up early because you're hungry. Oh, I'm so glad that you've said that. I'm just, I'm nodding. I'm going, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> to all to all of that, I, I mean, if if I kind of might just recap on what you've just mentioned about in regards to the routine bit, I, I might rephrase that a little bit because, yes, the word routine, that R word is just uh, completely foreign to us if we work shift work. But maybe you, if you want to, if you try and have that focus of just aiming to whenever you're on this, um, when you're ever on a normal shift or on your days off or whatever, just trying to always focus to get back to syncing your circadian rhythms as quickly as you possible, as possible, which means getting back into that um, normal, yes, a routine that as human beings we're meant to be in as, you know, being asleep during the night and so forth. Just always having that focus all the time of I need to be syncing my circadian rhythms a bit yeah. better. I'm so glad that, yeah, and I'm also glad that you mentioned about the prioritised thing because I have this conversation with my clients so often <laughs> and it's lovely. that it just counts me how many people uh, yeah. just are happy to continue like going on about their day right after a shift work, yeah. uh, after a night shift and, yeah, I, I don't think, well, yeah, I certainly couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I and I can appreciate that we, you know, everyone has busy lives and so forth, but I think that at the end of the day it, it, or it has to come back to finding a way to value your sleep again because we you know that to be able to do it our body lets us do it for a little while but we can't stick our head in the sand and ignore that it's not having some kind of effect it's going to catch up with you later on so I'm glad that you mentioned that um and and yet serious more serious note I mean the consequences of doing things not prioritizing and being so sleepy are actually you know there's there's some really serious consequences Mm. to that that to not for not only yourself but potentially for others and so um aside from just your general health and well-being there's you know you're you're putting others at risk by being so sleepy um and you know not not alert enough and yeah so sleep must be prioritized if if only for that reason, really. Oh, exactly. Because, yeah, like just driving to drop off the kids or picking up the kids again, like you could potentially be, yeah, having a car accident or hurting other people as well. And, yeah, it can be done. I've had a client that's been a single mum, two kids nursing, um, you know, initially conversation, she's just thinking, Audra, I just can't do it. But after a few long chats, we, you know, managed to find a way to make (laughs) it happen um, because it is, it's for her health and well-being, for her, you know, her kids and and so forth. So um, really important. And yes, in regards to the final one that you mentioned about nutrition, no, I'm one, uh, this is a a topic that I have obviously done quite a lot of research in, particularly around uh, chrononutrition, which is food timing uh that's a very big um part of what i do and in yes ha- making sure that you're having a, a a decent sized meal before you go into your shift so that you're able to get that sustenance to keep you going so you're less likely to fall under the magnetic spell of a vending machine at two o'clock in the morning um to keep you going and yeah and making sure that you do have something um before you're going to sleep as pe- a lot of people don't do that but just exactly what what you just said the reasons why is because we can make end up waking up hungry 
Um, it sets mm-hmm. off that whole cascade of hormones to wake us up when we're hungry. And after night shift, we do not want to be woken up. <laughs> we want right. to be sleeping through. So That's right. Um, um, and yeah. I will just add to that because it sort of fits within the nutrition, but it's also important to limit your caffeine intake. Um, and just in general, you should probably try and avoid caffeine around six hours before your bedtime. So yeah. for a normal day shift, that would be, you know, six hours before whatever time but all that applies also on night shift and (laughs) that might make me really unpopular with a lot of workers but um it will it will most definitely improve um your ability to fall asleep um and i see a lot of shift workers who rely on alcohol even in the morning Mm. after shift work as a form of like this will make me sleepy but Mm. in fact alcohol is terrible for our sleep And if you so, if you avoid caffeine, you avoid you're helping to avoid needing to add um, other things to help you then fall asleep. So that yeah, mm, absolutely yeah. I've got a bit of a, a uh, halt your caffeine intake by mid midnight uh, recommendation because it's the same as if you were a day shift person that it, that's the best time to you know have your coffee in the morning so that you won't get disrupted to sleep at night but with night shift you have to flick it around the other way and yes we don't yeah we're not popular when we say that we get things get thrown at us from even mentioning it but <laughs> we have our you know we have their health and well-being um uh, it is our main focus and we just whilst you may not want to hear what we have as a recommendations um it is it's coming from a a good space isn't it jade <laughs> absolutely most definitely yes <laughs> yeah. yeah well look this is been a, a great conversation i've really enjoyed um chatting with you jade so if there's anybody if we so we've got any nurses or midwives specifically living um in victoria that would like to participate in the study how can they get in contact with you or how can they sign up for the for the study so uh, there's two ways they can do that they can either email me um and i can give yeah the email address which is med dash not underscore but dash night shift at monash.edu. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, uh, you can uh, have a look at the Monash University uh, Sleep and Circadian Medicine Laboratory Facebook page, uh, and then there'll be some advertisements on that page that um, have the link directly to the survey uh, included on that. Great, excellent, and. and- I suppose for those who aren't night, uh, who aren't shift workers, um, uh, sorry, who aren't nurses or midwives, um, because that's specifically what uh, what my study is looking for. Um, there are other opportunities uh, that we have here at uh, Monash and at our sleep facility to volunteer for uh, research. Um, so you can search volunteer uh, sleep base. Uh, and that in Google, and that will that should take you to the page that um, you should be able to find the link there that takes you to our volunteer page and how you go about volunteering. Brilliant, that's that's excellent, and I think we we just need to appreciate that. Um, you know, obviously that will involve you know taking some time out of their schedule and so forth. But it is for a greater good. It is you know the, the long term outcome is it is um, so that researchers like yourself can learn more, so that you know then you're able to uh, help more, <laughs> or, exactly. or all of us as practitioners can you know are able to help more. And and one thing that I've known, I mean I've 
been researching uh, and I read a lot of shift working uh, journals and so forth. I have been doing for many, many years now, but I know that there's uh, not enough out there uh, when it comes to research on shift workers. So we need to be embracing any study that is ever <laughs> undertaken on shift working, particularly a clinical trial kind of setting as well, uh, because it just provides us with more information and more understanding on how um, you know, we can we can help uh, the shift workers. So, yeah, 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 most definitely. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, again, thank you so much uh, for joining me, Jade. As I said, it's been a great, great to chat with you. I love talking to somebody else that's equally passionate about sleep. As it's definitely um, uh, a passion of mine. Obviously, stemmed from my own personal experience, but uh, it's I just love people like yourself that have gone on to do that extra study uh, to really um, be able to, uh, I guess, yeah, dig deep and, and go into the more intricate details of things. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. No, thank you. It's been, yeah, it's been really great. And, yeah, as much as you love talking, I love talking about my research and everything that we do. So, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity, um, yeah, to, to talk about what I'm really passionate about. So thank you for having me. Wonderful, wonderful. All right. Well, stay cool down there, uh, Jade, because I know you're in Melbourne. I'm freezing there already up here in Queensland. I can't imagine how cold you must be. Not being cold. <laughs> it is very cold here. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. No, I think I'll have to visit in, again in summertime. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> well, that's it. That's it for another edition of the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to share it with other shift workers you think may benefit, as this will help me to spread the Healthy Shift Worker message to shift workers and organisations all around the world. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, then you'll know that I run Healthy Shift Worker Workplace Wellbeing Workshops uh, for employees all around the country here in Australia for different shift working organisations. So if you'd like me to visit your workplace and deliver one of these sessions too, then please feel free to reach out via email at audra at healthyshiftworker.com. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. Until next time, may you continue to be as healthy as you possibly can be despite working 24-7. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.